Romans chapter 8. Let's read from verse 1 back down to verse number 9. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. We really need to read our Bible, don't we? Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus did that for us. But we relish in sin. Something about that doesn't make sense. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. When you live in that, friends, you are living as one who is on the other side. You're living as a traitor. When you live with a carnal mind, you are living as someone who is opposed to God. Well, of course you can't come into church and function and lead anything or stand up in front of people or teach a class and it have any effect because you are living like somebody on the other side. You can't do that. You're not going to fool God and you're not going to fool spiritually minded people either. Carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now there's an important question this morning. Because he says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I mean, that, that's, that's serious, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's a little... I need to look in my heart this morning kind of serious. I need to look inside of me. Do I have the Spirit of Christ or not? Because if I don't, I don't belong to Him no matter what I say, no matter what I do. You can be the best Christian in the world, but if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are lost and on your way to hell. You are, you are deceived. What is spiritual life? What is spiritual life? We all understand what physical life is. We, we have a physical life in which we move and eat and work and sleep and taste and touch and smell and hear and see. We, we understand the physical life. But what is a spiritual life? Well, past the realm of the physical is the realm of the soul, the inner man. And we feel things. And from there we either live as devoted to the flesh or as devoted to to the spirit. We, we live either as carnal or spiritual. So what is carnal? What is carnal? Carnal is that which pertains to the flesh. That's the, 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 the Bible word. That's what it means. It's that which pertains to the flesh. It's the temporal, the bodily, the unregenerate part, the part that cannot be saved, the part that will not be saved. And Paul is warning us against living after that part. What is it to live carnal? 
It is to live on the plane of the physical, the sensual. It is to think things like, I want to look good to others. I want others to be impressed with my appearance. It's to be very concerned with the outward man, overly concerned, inordinately concerned. It's to think, I like this, I want this, so I take this, I eat this, I do this. Why? Because to be carnal is to operate in the realm of I do what makes me, that is myself, feel good as my primary rule of life. I do what makes me feel good as my primary rule of life. That's to live carnal. Now some of you have been living very carnal, even this morning. And, and, I, and I remind you, Paul said, to be carnally minded is death. You cannot do that without paying a price. And by the way, you, you bring others into the price with you. When you're carnally minded and you're supposed to be a leader, let me tell you what you do. You bring death on everybody. You bring corruption on those that you should be leading. This is the mindset that opposes spiritual life. Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And by the way, the spirit in Galatians 5, 17 is capital S. Your flesh lusts, uh, hates, desires to overpower the Spirit of God in you. That's the fight. That's the conflict. The fundamental characteristic of the flesh or the characteristics of the flesh are lust, strife, envy, and division. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul says in verses 1 and 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas, or because of this, there is coming among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? And so lust and envy and strife and division, whether it's in the church house or your home, on the job site, lust, envy, strife, and division are the fruit of carnality. I had a, a moment of significant, well, it was a reminder of some days gone by and some empathy, I think is the right word, some compassion for those of you that work out in and still in the secular world around some pretty awful people, and some of you do. We had taken Benjamin and a couple of the boys to celebrate his birthday on uh, Friday, and we took them to Chick-fil-A for lunch, and when we come out of Chick-fil-A, I was going to get the car and get it started and come around and pick them up. Basically, I just wanted to get it cooled off because, you know, it's 125 degrees out there. And I, I came out behind some guys that were in there eating at the same time that worked for a an HVAC company, and I heard one of them just because I was walking behind him, I heard him, he was just rattling off all the, all the dirty words, but not just saying the words, but doing it with the attitude. And then to the other guy who was out there who was driving, he said, why didn't you, and then just commenced to cuss him for not having the car started, and I thought, boy, I remember what it was like to work around that. That guy right there, that tough act, the cursing, the tattoos, the I'm the big bad dude. That guy is a, 
is a, such an insecure man. But he likes to bully those around him. And some of you work around that. You, you even have family members who do that to you. And I know that's tough. Well, there's a good reason why we should walk in the Spirit because how do you deal with that without God's help in your life? I tell you, a lot of people, what they do is they just cower down and they never say anything. What those folks need is they need to hear about Jesus. That's lust, envy, strife, division, all that coming in because here's a person that's living in carnality. Here's a lost man. He can't but live in it, right? Let me put it to you this way. Look at the magazine racks in the stores. What are they designed, how are they designed and what are they marketing to? Certainly not contentment or joy in Christ. Certainly not affection on things above. What is so much of the media today? Whether it's social media or movies or television, even, even the news is salacious. Right? You don't even have to be smart, just, just sexy and you can be a news anchor. And it's all full of scandal, it's all spiced up, it's all sensual in who and in how it's delivered. And many of you soak that up and you consume that uh, multiple times more than you do God's Word. And, and you're carnal-minded because, because you're eating that up. Look at the pop-ups on your computer. What are they marketing to? They're not marketing to joy and peace and contentment. They're marketing to lust and envy and strife and division. Now also... Carnal is to be immature in Christ, Paul says. So let me say this, on the authority of Scripture and by the observation of much of Christian community, I think that the truth is spiritual life is unknown to most professing Christians. Instead, they have substituted for the spiritual life what may be either called a religious life or a church life. Religious or church life allows me to live in the flesh during most of the week and then slip into church mode on Sunday or whenever I come around the building or around a gathering. It's not real, but neither is it satisfying. It's built on obligation. I must do this. It is expected of me to go to church. It's, it is expected of me that I will dress this way and I will be a leader and I will do this and people expect and I'm obligated to that or it comes out of desperation. If I don't do that, what will people think? And it's not coming from a place of integration with the life of God. And, and that's the difference. That's, we're talking about maturing in Christ. And so right here you have to decide, do, do I actually care about this? Do I, sitting in the pew this morning, do I care about this? Do I want to walk in the Spirit? Do I want to be all spiritual and everything and so serious about this? That's a decision you have to make. Let me help you as you ponder on that by reading to you once more verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So I want to answer the question for you. You should take this very serious. Very serious. There's nothing more serious right now than this. Nothing. Not a thing. I don't know what's happening in the world right now at this moment. I don't know and don't care. 
There's nothing more important in your life, in my life right now, than this. Because you are here this morning to hear this. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said in verse 14 and 15, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's an important phrase. These things must be spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. By the way, it would be a good time to say right there, there are people that say, well, you know, you, you, preacher, you just can't judge people. Don't tell me I can't. i got God's word on it. I can judge all things with a spiritual mind. Now, not according to the flesh. And judgment with a spiritual mind is not condemnation. It's not passing final judgment on someone, but it is to be discerning about a person's life. It is to be discerning about the fruit that is coming out of their life and saying, look, friend, i got to tell you, you may say this thing and you may talk this talk, but you're not living this life. It's not real. And God said that we need to exercise that kind of judgment. We ended on Wednesday night, and it was good. Wednesday night was good, wasn't it? If you were here, I mean, I, I, I felt like the Lord was helping us on Wednesday night. The final portion of that study was, how do we start fighting back and taking ground against the flesh? And remember, if you were here, I, I gave you three things. I said we have to be, and this is right out of Romans 6, but we, we have to begin to consider ourselves dead to the power of sin. You know, sin uh, has no power, no inherent power over the believer. Sin didn't make you do anything. And the devil don't make you do anything, right? We, the sin has no power. We're dead to the power of sin because we are in Christ. And then secondly, we, we must surrender ourselves completely to God's Spirit. Romans 6, 12 through 18. You're free to serve God. You are free to serve God. Who wouldn't want to do that when Jesus said, My little children, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why would we not want that? And then the third thing was that we fully embrace the identity of being a slave to Christ and to righteous living. In other words, much to what I've already said, it's time to start living like we belong to Jesus and like we are sold out to Jesus. I remember in the, was it the 90s or late 80s, that contemporary group, DC Talk, I think that was the name of, are they the ones that come out with the Jesus Freak song? I don't even know if I've ever heard that song, but that was a big thing. It was a big thing because all the fundamental preachers, man, they, they, they preached entire messages on it, I think. I'll give you four points why that's wrong, you know. And, and I mean, you know, we had a shouting good time all over the place. I don't know what we talked about, but it was good, amen? You know, I want to say I don't know anything about that group or that song, but I tell you, it would do the world good to have some Jesus Freaks. Some people that don't wear Jesus like a costume at Halloween, but actually live with Jesus every day of their life. I told you this before. One of the saddest things, I guess I'll remember this the rest of my life. When I was in the army as a chaplain, I was a chaplain in the army. And a senior chaplain at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, there was a couple of us having a conversation about the Bible. I don't even know what we were talking about. And this, this senior chaplain said, you know, that's why people don't want to be around chaplains and preachers, because all they ever talk about is God. <laughs> I mean, what does that have to do with being a chaplain or a preacher? 
How could every child of God have anything more to talk about than God himself? I mean, there's nothing better, nothing more real, nothing more meaningful than that. God should come into everything that I'm doing, whether to bless it or to convict me for it, but he should always be a part of my life. And Jesus should be the center of my life. All those things being said, I woke on Thursday morning and, and it was still in my heart, this whole, this whole matter that, that needs attention. I, I, I became convinced that God wasn't finished with us on this topic yet. I know that for me, I need more help in it. I trust that some of you are, are, are anxious for more help in it because I know that sin has no control over me. But I also clearly see how that I give in to the flesh. And the flesh in turn thrives on sin. And none of that is pleasing to God. So I, I won't help with that. I don't want that to be uh, in my life. Let me say this, that there are people in the church, listen to me now, I'm going to say something important here. There are people in the church who struggle with worldliness. There are people in the church, this to us, our, our, our people right here, our family, there are people here who struggle with worldliness. And let me tell you about you. I ain't worried about you too much because you are in conflict with it. You are fighting it. You are struggling with it. You don't like that part of you. But there are people in this church who are content in worldliness. And they are the ones I'm concerned about. They are the ones that I often spend a lot of time praying and meditating, sometimes before I fall asleep at night thinking about. They are content in their worldliness. Some of them are some of the best church members we have in terms of outward appearance. But the fact is, you are content in your worldliness. And why that concerns me, again, verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here was my thought Thursday morning. Maybe you can relate to this. This was my thought. I, I want to have, I need to see a decisive victory in this battle. I don't want to be casual about this struggle. I want to be intentional. I need to get back to Romans and Galatians and get the help I need to resist the flesh and the sin. Here was my thought. I know some answers about this, but what I need is some power to act on this. Right? Does that relate to your heart this morning? It's like, I, I, I got it. Preacher, I'm hearing it. I know some answers. I know some things the Bible says, but how do I live this? How do I act on this? That's life-changing. That's growing in Christ. That's walking in the Spirit. And as I studied Romans 8, I found four powerful truths that will help us. And since yesterday afternoon, I have felt pretty, pretty much a sense that I wouldn't get through all of them. But that's okay. We'll do what we can do. I intend to spend most of my time on the first two and, and see how far we can get. But let me tell you the first thing that Romans 8 tells us about how we can, rather than be overcome, be overcomers. Right? Sometimes we feel overcome by sin, overcome by the flesh. But God is saying to us, you don't have to live as one who is overcome. 
Because the end of this thing talks about the, the uh, he says in verse 37, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So I can be an overwhelming a winner in Jesus. How to not be overcome, but overcoming. I'll tell you the very first thing he tells us about that'll help us. This is helpful now. This isn't just, I know some answers, but I want, this is power to act, right? The very first thing you need to understand is the relevance of our thinking. The relevance of our thinking. Verse number five again. For they that are after the flesh, look at this, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, verse 7, the carnal mind. So the relevance of our thinking, when it comes to my thought life, who is in control? My flesh or my spirit? Very relevant. What he, what he gives us here is, is a phrase we use with our mission team, mindset. What is your mindset? Your mindset is your typical way of thinking, processing, analyzing, and, uh, and, and, and receiving the world around you. Okay? And all of us have a mindset. Now, we could give it a whole lot of different names, but Paul says it's either a spiritual mind or a carnal mind, period. That's it. There's only two options. You're either spiritually minded or carnally minded. It's, it's one of the two. No matter what you dress the others up as, it's one of those two. What is your mind set? When we say mindset, think, what is my mind set upon? What is my mind set upon daily and throughout the day? What is my mind set on? This is important. If you want to know how to overcome the flesh, you've got to deal with your thought life. Two words that are used in those verses, 5 through 7 there. He uses this word proneo. It means to exercise the mind towards something, to entertain thoughts about something, okay? Now, let me tell you something. We all get hit with that. There are things that will come to your mind that, aren't, that are not appropriate, that are outright wrong. And you may begin to let that thought circulate a little bit, and you entertain that thought. That's the word there, they that mind the things of the flesh, verse 5. But verse 6, he uses a different word, same root, but it's pronema. It means to be inclined towards something, to purpose to go after that thing. And you see what happens is, when the thought gets in our head and we begin to entertain it and let it circulate around and around, if we do not stop that, then we get into the pronema, which we begin to go after that thing. This is how it happens every time. Every time. This is what goes on inside of us. This is huge. This is true in my life. I know that what I am thinking about, I am moving toward. And the same is true for you. What I am thinking about, what you are thinking about, you are being led by in a direction. So it is so important to get our mind set on the right things. And to get rid of the stuff that pulls our mind away from where it ought to be. Think with me for a moment of that struggle that you have with a certain sin in your life. There's a certain thing in your life you're battling over and over and over and over and over. Now think about it for just a moment. I gave Athena an illustration of this in my life yesterday. Maybe not as 
deadly and deathly as some things could be, but it's definitely something that I want to change in my life. And, and I said, I know this will sound kind of humorous, but I realized this is what I just did. I got this thing in my mind. Okay. But I realized that I started thinking about this thing, and I stayed with that thought until I went to the clue kitchen and acted on it. Right? And that's the way this works in our life. So you think about that sin. Now, now don't, don't just go to the, the easy ones now. I gave an easy example, but don't go to the... In your mind, what's that thing you find yourself going back to? It's wrong, and it leaves you feeling ashamed and powerless and, thinking, and, and defeated. And now, now, what happens with that thing, whether it comes from lust or envy or gluttony or laziness or prejudice, and all these things are revealed by those frontline soldiers of sin. Remember that from Wednesday night? Those frontline soldiers. So where the lust and the envy and the prejudice and the jealousy comes from or where it's seen first and foremost is in things like our television addictions, our sports addictions, our food addictions, our gossip addictions, our self-loathing addictions, our shopping addictions, our spending addictions, right? That's where we see it manifest itself. And almost without exception, something will trigger a thought about that thing. And you begin to entertain that thought. And the longer you entertain that thought, the more you move toward a plan to do that thing. Now, does that sound ingenious? I mean, did I land on something or what? Well, I got a newsflash for you. I didn't discover that. That's just reality. And James outlines it in James chapter 1, doesn't he? Verse 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is the pattern of sin. This could be called self-pleasing thinking. Or as Jesus uses the phrase with Peter in Mark chapter 8 and verse 33, it says that he rebuked Peter. Remember, this is what Peter done. Jesus has told him he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be put to death. And Peter says, no, Lord, I will not allow that to happen as long as I am here. Nobody will touch you. And Jesus, it says in Mark 8, 33, rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And that word savorest is that Greek word pronema. He said, Peter... You are following Satan. You are inclined towards your own self. You are thinking about what you want instead of what God wants. Now that's a serious problem. That's self-pleasing thinking. So somewhere between the proneo and the pronema, where we begin to entertain and then we begin to go after, somewhere between that there needs to be an intervention. We need to disrupt the thoughts of the carnal mind by bringing the mind back to the spirit. Now, here's some good news. It's a battle, but God will help you with that. And it, it's not something that's complicated. It's not like, okay, 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 I need to get away from everybody, and I need to go over here for four hours, and I need to be in meditation until I can get my mind back on the Spirit. Do you know it is simple as to say, Jesus, 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 I am I am wrong right now. My mind is wrong right now. My thoughts are wrong right now. This sin is trying to come into my heart right now. Deliver me from this, Lord. It is as simple as draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Do you think that he will leave you to fight on your own if you were to call on him and ask for his help? 
See, you can do this. You can do this. You can do it. But, but you're going to have to do it. And guess what? You're going to have to do it today, and you might have to do it again later today, and you're going to have to do it tomorrow, but you can do it. You can do it. So we got to disrupt that, and we need that intervention to bring the mind back to the Spirit. Now, there are resources to help us with that. We'll, we'll see that as we go through this. If not today, maybe by Wednesday, there are realities in our choices that we can make to bring the wrong thoughts or to break those wrong thoughts and return to the, uh, the right thoughts in our life. But this all took me back to a devotion we had with the mission team uh, from Proverbs 4. Those of you that were on the team remember about the importance of guarding our heart. The very first thing we're told is to guard our searching. Guard our searching. That is guard where we let our mind go and dwell. And that, that is our thinking. We have to guard our thinking. And the instruction of Solomon in Proverbs 4, in verse 20 and 21, was, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. That's it. That's the formula. So, I'm never going to stop telling you about the importance and the necessity of abiding in the Word of God and finding every possible way to do that. I found so many ways to do that. I mean, I, I found it through uh, these, these podcasts that I've discovered. There's good preaching and teaching on there. I always counsel you, be careful. Just because their name is big or they're popular doesn't mean that they're going to help you. But there are good things out there. Ob absolutely through my Bible reading, and not just one time a day, but keeping the book with me and having one at the desk and having one in the car and having one by the bed and having one in the study. I mean, to have the Word of God there and to meditate on that, to meditate on it, to read good Bible books, to keep me thinking and learning. But we've got to stay there, abide there. You say, Preacher, I ain't got time for all that. Preacher, I work a real job. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're lying to yourself. You are letting your flesh lead. You got time for everything else you want to do. Well, maybe except the other things you want to do that you can't seem to squeeze in there, but, but you got no time for God. You, you, you got this whole thing backwards. You got to start with God. He's got to be number one. Matter of fact, I, I want to correct myself. God doesn't, He's not interested in being number one. God's interested in being everything. All in all. That's it. As long as you... As long as you keep trying to make God number one in your life, you're going to continue to fail miserably. Because whenever it ain't God's turn, you're going to be going to other things, and God's not there anymore. And you're going to fail. Paul helps us with this thinking thing. Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or just or pure or lovely or of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, if you were to take that verse and align it against the stuff you give attention to, the music that you're listening to, the news that you're watching, the television that you're watching, the movies that you're indulging in, uh, the, the materials that you're reading, the magazines and the books and the romance novels and all these things, and you were to align Philippians 4.8 against that, be honest and admit... Are these things helping me think on the right things? Are they developing the mind of Christ in me? You say, preacher, it can't all be about that. Wrong. It is absolutely all about that. Absolutely. Anything less than that, you're wrong. 
Jesus did it all for us. He did not just save us for part-time service. He saved us to give Him everything. So whatever we fix our attention on, what we're thinking about during our days, think about how often you're on that phone. How much of your thoughts are consumed by worldly things. ESPN, Fox, CNN, Pinterest, Netflix, it don't matter. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Check your screen time on your phone, but then check how it's broken down at where you spent the time. Boy, that don't tell the story. And it tells the story, doesn't it? So the relevance of our thoughts. Now I'm going to give you one more this morning, just one more. The relevance of our choices. Verse 12 of Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. What Paul says there is this. If I were to say that just in a way I would talk to you, I would say, brother, you don't owe the flesh anything. You are not obligated to obey your flesh. That's what Paul was saying. He said, for if ye live after the flesh, this is what you're going to get. You're going to die. But if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now it really comes back to this simple truth, doesn't it? Every choice I make matters. Every choice you make matters. You know this. Some of you have gone to the store and you've bought things before. You made a choice and after you bought it, you felt regret. Some of you have gone out to eat before and you made a choice off the menu and you got it and you consumed it and afterwards you regretted it. Every cho- and, and what does that do? That always affects the soul. There's nothing you do that does not affect your soul. Now, if you're casual about this, you're like right now thinking, <sighs> but those of you that are locked in on what I'm saying, you're like, preacher, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't like that when I do that. I don't like that when I do that. What am I going to do about that? Paul says, every choice you make matters. You owe the flesh nothing. A common truth throughout Scripture is this. Sin always leads to death in some real, tangible way. Always. Not just the sin before you knew Christ, but when sin is in your life as a believer, it always brings death in some real tangible way. One of the greatest tragic deaths of following your flesh into sin, whether it's laziness or addictions or whatever, is that you're always killing time. Time you won't get back. Or you're killing opportunity. Opportunity for life with God on mission in the kingdom. Opportunity often for life with your family because you're selfishly indulging in what you want. You'll never get that back. Sin always leads to death. It costs you to obey your flesh. It cost me to obey my flesh. Paul goes on, but, but what we must do, he's, he's saying to us, is kill those evil carnal practices And then we'll find joy and we'll find life. So we need to make some choices, some decisions very early on. Go back to the relevance of our thoughts. When we begin to think the wrong way, 
the wrong direction. It is then and there that we need to make the choice to move toward God and away from the temptation or the negative emotion or the addiction or whatever it is that's eating up our lives. We make the, the choice right there in the immediacy of the wrong thought. We make the choice to move toward God. Because once sin has been allowed an entrance, it is so much more difficult to turn it back out, to push it back out. And this is where we have to learn to resist temptation and resist the devil and resist the world. And that is the place of crucifying the flesh. Galatians 5.24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now, there are two questions that that raises and that need to be answered. The first one is, and we've already spoken about it, but I want to address it again, and that is, what is the flesh? They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. What is the flesh? Well, it certainly is something that has affections and lusts, because that, that's the text of Galatians 5.24. I heard this definition of the flesh from another pastor. I heard this used, and I thought this was really good. The flesh is the ego that feels a need, an emptiness in one's life, and then uses all its resources within its own power to fill that need. The flesh is that which tries to satisfy me with everything except God. That's a good definition of the flesh. That's a really good definition of the flesh. Just that last line would be a good one. The flesh is that which tries to satisfy me with everything except God. So what resources does the flesh have? Only carnal things. Only earthly things. Only temporal things. So it says, now follow the thought. Your flesh says, when you in your soul, you feel angry or you feel disappointed or you feel lonely or you feel misunderstood or you feel hungry or tired or stressed or whatever it is, your flesh tries to fill a need with all the resources it has and the only resources it has are temporal, earthly a carnal things. And so it says to you something like, well, just go buy something. You'll feel better. Just, just, just go eat something that really tastes good and makes you feel good, right? Now see, th this isn't a small thing, is it? Think about, think about the, the uh, implications or, or, or whatever, the scope of this. We're talking about spiritual battle. We're talking about eternal things, and we get taken out by a piece of cake. Right? And we, and we haven't been thinking that way, but we've got to think that way. We've got to think that way so our choices will be right. Because as soon as we give in to the flesh, I did, I did not say a piece of cake is sin, by the way. I said when you're feeling stressed, tired, lonely, afraid, angry, anxious, and your flesh offers everything it's got to feel that need in your life and says, go eat a slice of cake, you'll feel better. That's wrong. That is sin. Your spirit will tell you, if you're walking in the spirit, your spirit will say, you need prayer right now. You need to find Jesus right now. You need to get away from this situation right now and get along with God. And then when you get peace and joy flooding your soul later in the day, you might still get a piece of cake. But then it'll be good, right? The flesh will try to get you to go eat something, go drink something, just go to sleep, go indulge, go flirt with another woman, flirt with another man, go binge on television or social media. The flesh, that's all it has to offer you. But here's the problem. All that the flesh offers is hollow and it is vanity and it is ultimately a failure because it only stokes the fire of more craving for the same thing. Nothing, nothing that it gives satisfies. 
And what is worse, it lies, listen to me, it lies by telling you, well, next time just get more and it'll work or it'll feel better. Next time you just need to do more of it. I mean, you just didn't get enough that time, right? That, that's all the flesh has to offer us. And this is why we must crucify the flesh. So that's question number two. How do we crucify this flesh? We know that to crucify something means to put it to death, but it's not just to kill it, it is to impale it on a cross as Jesus was crucified. And we are to kill it mercilessly. Now let me show you, before we go, don't, don't lose me yet. This right, we're, we're getting to the crux of the matter here now. Let me show you a few things from Galatians. Go to Galatians and let me show you what will help us to crucify the flesh. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I needed this 20 years ago in my life. I needed this 15 years ago in my life. I don't want anybody to leave here this morning without hearing what I'm about to share because this is where you get the victory. This is where it'll come because you're tired, right? That battle, that struggle, that being overcome. Oh, what a, how do I do this? Well, this is the answer. These, these, this is some of the way. Let me just help you with a few things about how you crucify the flesh. All right, Galatians 2.20. Look what Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And watch this. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live... Now that word flesh there, by the way, Paul's not talking about the bad flesh. He's talking about living in the body. Okay, This life I live now in this body. But wrapped in that is the understanding that we have a lot of battles in this body. And here's what he says. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell you the first way that you can crucify your flesh. It'll help you every time. It's by trusting God. Oh, preacher, that's just... Okay, well, how does that help me? Well, you understand that living by faith Living by faith is the way to mercilessly deny and kill the flesh when it rises up. Okay, illustration. Oh my, what are we going to do? This bill. Oh, oh my. Now what does the flesh offer? Put it down, put the plastic down, type in the numbers, whatever it is these days we do. The flesh offers you a quick solution. The flesh feels satisfied for a little bit. And then the credit card bill, oh my, you know, and it's, the flesh never works. Living by faith is to take that bill. I'm not, I'm not even being metaphorical here now, but to take that bill and lay it on the place where you pay your bills and say, Lord, I ain't got it. Can't do it. I don't have the means to do this. And whether, whether I got in this place from my own doing or, or whether it's just circumstantial, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. By faith, I'm going to come to Jesus and I'm going to say, Lord, I can't do it. I need you now. And I'm going to deny that flesh and I'm going to make that flesh squirm. And that flesh is going to say, you're crazy, you're nuts. They're going to take your house. Everything's going to fall apart. And then, boy, if you let some people in on it, they're going to tell you the same thing. You ever notice how a lot of good Christian people like to help your flesh? You ever notice that? Oh, hey, brother, hey, brother, it's all right. Ain't nothing wrong with just put the credit card on it. I mean, hey, hey, yeah, I know, I know, live by faith. Just have faith, God will pay the credit card bill off. 
Let me tell you what you do. You listen to the Spirit of God in you. And you kill that flesh. You crucify that flesh. You live by faith. You say, uh, when we say to the flesh, this, this, this thing right here is to say to the flesh, I now live dependent on God for everything. And flesh, I no longer need you. You are not welcome in this anymore. That's crucifying the flesh. Okay? Deny it. Say, it is to say that just because the flesh wants it or feels it, it does not mean that it's right. The desert fathers and mothers of the third century taught us this, that the battle against the self means bringing the body under the control of the soul and reminding the body that not every desire needs to be instantly gratified. Oh, I'd like to get a piece of that cake. No! Flesh, not going to. I need Jesus. That's what I need. Let me tell you a second thing will help you crucify the flesh. So you've got to trust God. That's live by faith. Live by faith, not by your flesh. Live by faith. Tell the flesh, no, I don't need you anymore. Look at Galatians 5 again, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse number 25, he said, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to be step in step and step in step with the Spirit. Wherever He's leading, I'm in step with Him. I'm going where He's going. I'm, he's leading and I am behind Him. So one way you crucify the flesh is you walk in the Spirit. Literally, Paul says, stay in step with the Spirit of God. And I need to say then, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we let the Spirit of God lead us? How do we let the Spirit of God lead us? Preacher, you said I'm the walk in the Spirit, but I'm not even sure what that means. How do I do that? Is that like some zone that I get into? Like maybe if I stay in prayer long enough, I sort of just like get this boom. And then the rest of the day, I'm like, I'm like spiritual. I'm on a spiritual high. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what it means to walk in the Spirit. Let me tell you how you walk in the Spirit. Ready for this? Now, you're going to want to write this down because you have to study on this one a while. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. And how do you do that? This isn't complicated either. Specific prayer. What I mean by that is, is to say, Jesus, I want to be close to you. Jesus, I want to, I want to think like you do. I want, to, I want to act like you do. Jesus, I, I just want to, I want to be like you, you know? And just to call on him. And then read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Boy, don't you love to read the Gospels? I'm telling you, you get in there and you read in the Gospels and you're just discovering this stuff about Jesus and you're like, man, I want to be like him. I'm so glad he's my friend. I'm so glad he's my Savior. I'm so glad he's my shepherd and my Lord. I want to be like him. Stay close to Jesus. That's how you walk in the Spirit. And again, trust in God. Didn't I already say that? Well, that's how you walk in the Spirit. What do I mean by that? I mean, stop rushing. I already said it, but let me say it another way. Stop rushing to fix everything yourself. Now, think about this a minute. When you're not happy or when someone's disappointed you or you see something that you know is not right, you know what I'm learning? Not every time that I know something's not right, does that mean it's not right? And a lot of times I've rushed to fix what I know is not right and got in trouble. And I'm really trying to learn how to ask the Lord to guide me about that and not rush to fix everything. 
Because as soon as you rush to fix everything, I'm going to go take care of this matter. You just left the spirit and you got back in the flesh, right? And, and, and we've got to stop trying to fix everything. Get serious about taking everything to God. All right, all right. The last thing, Galatians 6, 14. How are we going to walk in the spirit or how are we going to crucify the flesh rather? How are we going to crucify the flesh? We've got to trust God. We've got to live by faith. We've got to walk in the Spirit. And this is it. We're going to pray, but look at this. Verse, chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Here's how we crucify the flesh. We glory in the work of Christ. What do you glory in? What do you glory in? To glory in something is to boast about it, to get excited over it. You see how this comes full circle to, to how I began this morning? And I did not intend to begin this way this morning, but I felt it was necessary to speak to it. But it comes full circle. What do we glory in? What are we excited over? What really stirs us in life? What do we, what do we egg on and cheer on? And somebody says, hey, would you, do you want to? And we're like, yeah! Right? Now, is that the way you are about the things of God? Is that the way you are about church? I mean, did you get up this morning way ahead of time so you could present yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm about to go. I'm about to go to church. I'm going to be with God's people. I'm going to be with your people today, and I want to be ready. I'm going to be singing. I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be ushering. I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to, I, Lord, I want to be right. And I want to be ready. And God, just fill me with your spirit. I, I want to get there and enjoy the people of God and the worship of, of God. Lord, help me this morning. Did you do that? Or did you roll out just in time to throw yourself together, scarf down a little cereal, and get here? You say, well, preacher, see, I'm excluded. I don't sing, I don't teach, I don't preach, I don't usher. No, 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 no. Ain't a one of us here this morning that's not as, just as responsible to come ready. Come ready. What do we glory in? Let's glory in the work of Christ. Let's be excited when we're seeing Jesus honored when we're seeing lives being drawn closer to Him? Let's be passionate about that. Let's be intentional about being in the Spirit, not in the flesh.